Hello, welcome back to the Performance Cycling Podcast. I'm Todd Norwood here with my co-host Jason Hammond. Hey, how's it going? And today we're joined by a special guest, Amy Babcock, a physical therapist colleague of mine, also a cyclist and a yoga instructor. Amy, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. So first off, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, how, how you got involved with cycling, yoga, and, and physical therapy? Um, so in college, I used to, I, I ran in college and then did triathlons after that for about eight years and then eventually just got into cycling. So I was a road cyclist for oh, eight, ten years. Um, and during that time, was going through physical therapy school and started doing yoga kind of as a way to keep myself healthy while I was racing. Okay, very good. And so I think that's what we want to talk about a little bit today is what are the things that a cyclist can benefit uh, if they integrate some yoga into their training or into their regular routine? Um, Certainly some benefits are just um, feeling easier on the bike, getting some of the lactic acid and the tightness out of some sore muscles, particularly after a long ride or a race. Um, decreasing pain, so neck pain, pain in the hips, low back, things of that nature can definitely be helped with some yoga practice. Yeah, so is it more of a recovery thing or is it more of a a performance benefit thing in terms of integrating yoga into your training? I think it can be both, really. Um, As a therapist, I've treated several cyclists. Um, um, I was thinking about this when we were talking about doing the podcast. One of uh, the cyclists I treated years ago had a seven-level fusion in his back and was hoping to continue racing. And obviously, sorry, that is <laughs> you're gonna have to in, in English. Okay, sorry. Terms. <laughs> a seven-level fusion is um, when your vertebrae is fused. Um, he was hit by a car when he was on his bike. Okay, so um, had a sustained a pretty serious injury, and following that injury, wanted to get back into racing again, but can't really bend when your back is fused. So we focused a lot on just hip mobility, working on getting his hips and his hamstrings, his glutes more mobile so he could get down in the drops again. Um, So as a safety feature, you want to be able to get down in the drops, certainly when you're going around corners, um, descending and such. And so a lot of stretching, a lot of yoga type exercises at that time were really beneficial for him just for the performance aspect, but also from a recovery standpoint. Mm. That's really interesting. I, I watched uh, the the World Cups, the track World Cups recently, and I noticed a lot of the riders, uh, track riders have really high saddle positions, so yeah. they and generally also a low handlebar position, so a lot of flexibility, but right. they also are the type to wiggle a lot on the bike, especially when they get really fatigued. And to think of an athlete who can't move in the back to make more space for themselves, it, you would definitely need a lot more hip mobility. To, Absolutely. Yeah, for sure to get around the pedal stroke. Mm-hmm, for sure. I think one of the things we talked about on the podcast a number of times that's come up is hip mobility being a limiting factor for a lot of cyclists or certainly something that could be improved upon um, in the cycling population. So it sounds like from your perspective, yoga is one way to achieve that. For sure, yeah. There are, certainly there's other stretches and other modalities. Um what I like to say, a lot of a lot of my patients will come in, and I also have a master's degree in exercise physiology, so I try to promote some just general exercise guidelines with with patients. 
And we go through, um, you know, every, as certainly as a cyclist, you're getting your cardiovascular. Uh, most patients are doing some form of strength training, but what's often lacking is the flexibility, mobility, and balance issues. Mm-hmm. Um, so always think that yoga is a great way to supplement because it covers a lot of that. You do, you know, for a lot of people, body weight exercise, doing the push-ups, the squats, the lunges involved in yoga can be enough for strengthening, mm-hmm. but it certainly um, addresses the flexibility and does a lot of, you can do a lot of balancing as well so can cover you can get all your fitness <laughs> remaining fitness aspects i guess is a way to say it um through yoga my experience with a lot of um a lot of my teammates and a lot of the people i've worked with is they are very reluctant to stretch um, because it takes away from the riding time if they, if they only have 10 hours a week 12 hours a week to put into their athletic uh you know fitness and they don't want to spend an hour, two hours, three hours of that making sure they're mobile enough. They want to be on their bike. And uh, I think this has been mentioned before. Cyclists love riding their bike, even mm-hmm. though, you know, you should be a complete athlete and then you get on the bike. Um, so why could yoga? I'm just thinking for these types of riders who don't want to stretch, is yoga a, a gateway into, you know, that that world of improving your flexibility? Certainly. Um when I was racing, I used to do it every Friday. So Friday morning was kind of, you know, I'm going to go out and ride or race on the weekends. Probably not going to put in a ton of hours on Friday. So I would do Friday morning yoga, 90 minutes, get a good solid, just, you know, stretching everywhere and maybe do an afternoon easy ride. And then I felt like I was set up for the weekend pretty well, whether I was racing or just going on some really long rides. I think that could be a really good actually Friday because you're going to have a lot of, um, either volume or intensity on the weekends. Right, absolutely. So that's probably the best timing. Monday's also good. It's, you know, you just got done with a long weekend. It's a, a usually a recovery day, um, mm-hmm. so that would be another good time. So if you think of it as a way, you know, on an active recovery day where you're not on the bike or not riding as hard or as long, then it could be a good way to supplement. And you would recommend uh, yoga over that one-hour ride? Is that correct? Um, I would, I don't say I recommend one versus the other, but definitely fitting yoga in somewhere. Sometimes I used to do both. I'd do an hour and a half of yoga and then do an easy spin later in the day. But I guess it depends on your lifestyle, how much time you have and if you've got kids at home and that sort of thing. So I think with, with that, what I'm hearing is, okay, so for the person who's reluctant to stretch or say, well, I'm, I'm time crunched, I only have X hours per week to mm-hmm. ride my bike and train and, and get my fitness in, this might be a nice substitute to place in, instead of one of those recovery rides that you were going to do, and yeah. you're going to get some additional benefits that maybe that recovery ride would have not given you. Absolutely, for sure. I think that's a pretty easy sell, hopefully. Yeah, well... I guess uh, I'd like to explain my own experience with yoga. Um, so I, I'm a big fan of uh, of like pointed stretches. So um, I also feel feel this way about strength training. As a cyclist, I'm trying to, you know, the, the bulk of your training is on the bike. Can we use strength training to supplement to to build up the areas we're lacking or make sure that our pedal stroke is correct? And that's why I like to do pointed stretches of like, this is the muscle that hurts. This is the muscle that's tight. I want to loosen that. Um, I don't, you know, I guess the point of yoga and you can correct me if I'm wrong is that maybe you don't know 
quite what's wrong. So yoga is, is a broader, it's a better way to approach your flexibility because it, it hits a lot of different areas. That's true. Um, you know, when you're doing a yoga pose, oftentimes, especially the first few minutes of class, when you're warming up, you're hitting quite a few different areas. It's not just isolated hamstring stretch, isolated glute stretch. You're doing a various, for example, a down dog, you're stretching your shoulders, your back, your spine, your glutes, your hamstrings, your calf muscles, gastroc. So all of that's kind of getting stretched in one pose. Um, so also for that's a time crunch advantage as well then. If yeah, you're getting, for sure. Uh, multiple muscles right, right, at right. the same time. Yeah. Yeah. There's a few poses that can address various different parts of your body and just one good stretch i guess i'm i'm pro yoga here so i do it on a semi-regular basis but you know from my experience it's this nice way sometimes to find the things that you didn't know and you go into a pose and you go oh i didn't know that was so tight yeah that's interesting so sometimes you get this nice discovery i think i like it because there's a, a ritual to it um kind of maybe the opposite of jason that way like i, I like this ritual of going through the different poses um, i think maybe there's some even a mental aspect to it right it gives you some relaxation some recovery oh, benefit sure. as well yeah i mean a lot of the focus in yoga is on your breath so yoga by definition is a union of the spirit mind and body so there's a spiritual side to it uh, certainly a relaxation component to it but there's you know some classes and even in an easy class you can make a really hard one pose standing on one leg or balancing hand balances can be pretty challenging even though you're not moving through it quickly they can be hard or you go to a class where you're working really hard and you're getting up a sweat and doing a vinyasa so there's a different type of class for most people some are very um, targeted at moving slowly and focusing on alignment whereas others might power yoga where you're working to get a workout and where maybe a cyclist wouldn't need that because you're already getting a lot of cardiovascular fitness on the bike. Yeah. Do you mind uh, going through sort of what some of the different classes would be like and what a cyclist could expect to get out of them? Sure. Um, So a lot of yoga started with Iyengar. Yoga is a very alignment-based yoga practice. They tend to move just a little slower. And a lot of times I recommend if you're new to yoga, particularly if you're a patient that had an injury, that you start with an Iyengar type of class where you learn the alignment first. Um, Vinyasa is where you're moving with each breath. You're moving into a different position or pose. So it tends to be more flowy. Um, I taught it was Anusara yoga back in the day. Now we just call it aligned Hatha yoga, um, which is kind of a combination of we do some vinyasa, um, we have a peak pose, we um, do various different poses in every class. There's heated yoga. There, I mean, there's just all kinds of power yoga would be more for people that are looking for a workout, um, a little more intense. But again, it just depends on just basically yoga for everybody. Yin yep. yoga, it's more like a sustained stretch. So, I think I've done yin yoga one time, and that's really nice. Yeah, um, yeah. It's very long holds, is that correct? Correct, yeah. Um, and also there's restorative yoga. So within all the different types of yoga, you could go to a restorative class where there's more props and bolsters and blankets where it's very, very relaxing. That could be a really good recovery type of thing to do, you know, on an evening where you basically are helped into a pose and you stay there for five minutes and it's super relaxing. Um, not very intense, but good stretches. <laughs> yeah. So I think something interesting about 
yoga and cyclists in general. Cyclists are fairly competitive individuals, I think, at least the three of us sitting around the table right now are. Um, and yoga, especially as a first timer, you're not going to look like the instructor, right? You, you don't have the mobility inherent. So I think you have to turn off your competitive mindset for a minute and say, like, I'm not going to beat this person or emulate this person. I just need to do what's best for me. You know, any advice for like newcomers to yoga? Like, how do how do you do that? How do you you know like I want to do that stretch, but how do I still get the most for me if I don't look like the instructor? Well, that's a really good point. I think a lot of people come to yoga with that competitive background, and they look around the room and they're trying to do what their neighbor's doing or what the teacher's doing. Um, but it's really important to um, listen to your body and try not to force yourself into a pose. So as a cyclist, obviously we're very competitive and that was certainly a lesson I learned through yoga is this is not the place to really be competitive. I'm not trying to beat the person next to me or, you know, force myself into something my body's not ready for. Um, but with the right alignment and the right teacher, I think a lot of things that you maybe didn't think you could do sometimes are possible with, with good cueing and education and awareness. I wonder if, uh, I guess it's funny for cyclists in particular, they're not very core or flexibility focused generally. So you're super competitive. You come into a non-competitive environment where you're not very good. It puts you in a weird headspace if you're not ready, I assume. Um, I know that the yoga I've done at the YMCA is, um, it's a lot of like older people and um, a lot of like parents. So there's nobody even for me to compete with because there's no other you know competitive athletes and that can also help to put you in the the right mind space and so i think it's good to sort of scope out where you're going to do yoga and make sure that the environment is right for what you want so if you do want to do restorative stuff or work to uh, improve your flexibility and relaxation and recovery find the the kinds of people who are also you know looking for that yeah and it's not to say that cyclists aren't quote, good at yoga, um, it's all in a comparison. You know, a lot of people say, well, I don't want to, I don't want to go to yoga because I don't think I'll be good at it. But the point is, if you're tight, if you have some flexibility issues, then yoga is going to be good for you. And there's no being good at it or not good at it. Um, but generally speaking, there's, there's classes everywhere. There's classes at yoga studios where you tend to get, you know, more of the higher end um, people that, are quote unquote good at yoga, maybe more flexible, have been doing it for a while, have advanced practices. Um, you've got people of all ages, not to say that, you know, I know several older people who can do a lot of stuff in yoga that maybe even a younger person couldn't. So age doesn't necessarily matter. Um, athletic ability matters to some degree, but it means, you know, sometimes men are better at doing arm balances because they have more upper body strength. Whereas um, a lot of people who are quote unquote good at yoga, maybe are just generally hypermobile or have a lot of flexibility, but they actually need more strength. So as a teacher, you're looking at them and trying to cue them to engage more muscles, to not go so deep into poses. Whereas people that have more flexibility issues or limitations, you know, we're backing them off of the poses and allowing them to get the stretch. So there's a lot of variations within a class and certainly in different environments. So for somebody that's doing yoga, how do you feel compared like going to a class, getting the instruction versus say somebody picking up a DVD or watching a YouTube video? Um, like 
strengths, limitations? Um, I think, you know, there, there's a lot of really good online stuff now where you can, but there's also some kind of dangerous stuff online and, and DVDs that, you know, if you, without the proper instruction, you can possibly hurt yourself. Um, you might think, well, I'm supposed to look like the person on the screen and your body's not quite ready for that. So it's always best, I think, to start with the teacher at least until you get down the practice and kind of understand what's going on in the pose and what's best for you. Otherwise, there certainly can be risks at injuring yourself. So I think this agrees with our prior discussions about coaching. Yeah, I'm very pro-coaching. And um, of course, the, the ability to have someone see you in person and um, critique you is really important versus just trying to follow online instructions. And speaking of, I don't think I've told this story before, but I remember hearing about a writer who found, I think, Chris Froome's workout material online and was trying to replicate it. And uh, it, it turned out horribly. <laughs> um, it, like, you know, way too much TSS, way overtrained. And it's mm-hmm. like, well, because you're not Chris Froome. Right. <laughs> and, uh, so then I, I guess that's similar to if you find a YouTube video or a DVD and the person is doing this extreme stretch, um, that's what you mean by it, it could be dangerous. Is- For sure. You know, and some people are doing headstands and they have no business doing a headstand. Um, you know, there's... A- alignment issues there's um, certainly a lot of a lot of risk if you don't know what you're doing um and again some people are really hypermobile, so it might outwardly look like they can do a pose really really easily but without engagement with you know hyperextension of the joints they can hurt themselves or vice versa you're tight and you're trying to force yourself into a pose your hips are tight and you might tear a meniscus or you know injure your knee because you're trying to force yourself into something your body really can't do so it's super helpful to have an instructor to look at you and say, hey, maybe we should back off. Hey, we could use a block here. Um, looks like you're hyperextending, you know. Let's take you out of that a little bit. So there's a lot of different reasons that I think uh, an instructor can be can be really helpful. If you've been practicing for a long time, though, there, I know a lot of people um, that just do a home practice, but that's after they've gone through, you know, countless hours of instruction and, and have, you know, figured it out. I think that's just so important to become in tune with your body, right? Know, know what the stretch is, have somebody teach you what the pose is supposed to be targeting, and exactly. then you can feel it and replicate it mm-hmm. on your own and, and do it safely. Yeah, yeah, for sure. In terms of cyclists, uh, what are some of the key, you know, worry areas? Um, my, my brain gravitates towards, you know, back, um, especially upper back. Also, obviously, hips. We've already talked about that. Um, are there other areas that I'm missing? Um, you're bent over a bike usually. You know, for I used to train twenty some hours a week when I was um, really really serious about my training. So you're in that bent over position. Hip flexors get really really tight because you're never really extending your hips fully. So hip flexor tightness is really super common in cyclists. Um, upper back because you're bent over the bike, even though, you know, with a good bike fit, there's not as much stress, but you're still bent over a bike for a long time. So the upper back gets, gets pretty restricted. So shoulders can get tight, neck can get tight. And as we talked about hamstrings, glutes, even, even if your calves are tight, you know, it's going to affect your pedal stroke where you can't drop your heel at the bottom of the pedal stroke. So there's a whole bunch of uh, things that could be 
addressed in a yoga class. So it sounds like, uh, <laughs> yeah, it sounds like yoga is the full body fix or full body. Yeah, I feel like it mm-hmm. is. You know, you can go in, like I said, for in like a 90 minute, most classes are 90 minutes. Um, a lot of the, the class I teach is just 60 minutes. But with a 60 minute practice, you can cover pretty much everything you need to and get some core strengthening, do some standing balance and um, address all the tight issues. Yeah, I actually wanted to talk about both core and standing balance. So core specifically, um, I, I, you know, the purpose is we need to stabilize the hips so we can produce power below them. And your core is fundamental to that so we can stabilize the spine. Um, how does yoga help with that? Are there particular poses or um, some classes that are more core-centric as opposed to just flexibility-centric? So a lot of the hand balances in yoga really focus a lot on the core. So um, postures or asanas where you're balancing on your hands, like a side plank is a typical hand balance in a yoga class. It's also, you know, pretty common for core work. Um, Just going through a sun salutation where you're working on back extension. So you're laying on your stomach, you're doing shalabhasana or cobra that works on your back extensors. Various navasana is another common one. So in other words, there's a, several yoga poses that can be incorporated within a class that will work your core pretty well. And then for, um, for standing balance, for cyclists, how does that help us? Flexibility. So um, one of the first things you do in a yoga class, um, learning the sequencing um, from a teacher's perspective Usually we do a, more of a vinyasa type of warm up, and then the standing postures are usually pretty early in the practice because it's the best way to warm up. Um, do a hip opener, for example. So you start doing your um, standing poses. You're addressing all your major muscle groups in your legs that you want to stretch out in a lunge, for example. Uh, you're stretching your hip flexors. If you uh, move into a warrior two, you're starting to get your adductors or your inner thigh a little bit more, and you start going deeper and deeper through the standing poses before you, at the end of the class, would do seated postures, which are even deeper and require a little more core control, but you've already warmed up those major muscle groups with the standing poses. Okay, so it's it's just as much about um, just engaging the muscles and getting them warmed up. Getting warmed up, getting them stretched more dynamically, so think of it like as a dynamic warm-up before um, you know, doing more static or a long, long hold stretch. Yeah. And now that you mention it, I guess, uh, there are a few people recommending to do a dynamic warm up before your races or mm-hmm. even before your workouts. Mm-hmm. And, uh, maybe you could get a routine from yoga for the 15 minutes before you go out for your bike ride. Uh, you could, I mean, honestly, I just think riding your bike before a race is probably the best thing, but there's a lot of uh, yoga postures you could certainly do before. I've seen baseball players too, you know, take a down dog on the field and stretch out their shoulders and their back and their hamstrings and their calves. And, you know, so there's, there's definitely, you could do a few stretches before a bike race to kind of loosen up your back and your shoulders and all that kind of good okay. stuff too as well. <laughs> so, so you don't directly advocate for this dynamic stretching before, before races or workouts? I mean, most for sports, certainly, but for cycling, I always primarily did a warm up on my bike, did a few dynamic okay. stretches, and then would hop in the race and go. Yeah. And I, I guess, <laughs> well, uh, I had one coach who was a big fan of rolling before races, mm-hmm. and I had another coach who was a big fan of um, dynamic movements like uh, um, 
standing quad stretch while walking and lunges and um, some of these lower body dynamic classic dynamic um, exercises and uh, you know I, I played along I, I think it might have helped but I didn't know if uh, you had a particular opinion or if yoga you know was integrated into that somehow um, well there's a lot of good research that talks about you know the benefits of dynamic stretching before any athletic activity and I support that fully um, I just didn't do a lot of it when I was racing, to be honest with you. Uh, but that was that was a while ago, so. <laughs> yeah, okay. I, I mean, I don't know. I think I'm, I'm kind of with you, though. Yes, I totally agree with the research of Reddit. I yeah. see it. But then I look at cycling compared to some of the other sports that we're talking about, you know, soccer, basketball, football. Right. These sports are much more dynamic. There's much more excursion of range of motion. It's unpredictable. It's more mm-hmm. explosive cycling you're gonna get on your bike like maybe you can make an argument for some of like the bmx or maybe some of the track sprinting that's a little mm-hmm. bit more uh, movement involved maybe some like the downhill mountain biking but for a road bike you, you know what position you're going to be in more or less you know as opposed to the other sports it's much more dynamic right. and unpredictable right so it's, i guess it's more about it's not about your flexibility or mobility on the day it's about you know your general flexibility and being able to get in that position in the first place and hold it for the entire race. Mm-hmm. Yeah, having the flexibility, right, and the core strength right. to maintain it. Yes, for, also very important. Yeah, especially as you move into like a time trial, right? That position, you have the mobility, you got to have the core strength to stay and produce the power while you're being aerodynamic. Mm-hmm. All right, so we sort of talked about upper back, neck being tight. Are there specific poses that you would recommend for cyclists that may address those? areas? Sure. So I think kind of one of the easiest poses to learn is down dog. Um, But a lot of people do it incorrectly. They come out feeling like their neck is more sore than it was when they started. So there's alignment of the hands and not overusing your upper trapezius, kind of your neck muscles and learning how to get them to relax. So in down dog, it's basically um, like an upside down V. Your hands are on the floor, your hips are up towards the sky, you're stretching out your hamstrings, your calves, your arms are straight, so you're getting a good stretch through your upper back, your thoracic spine. It's considered a neutral pose, so we do it a lot through yoga just to you know, kind of neutralize everything. Um, and as you do a sun salutation, which is a really typical warm-up in yoga, cobra pose is where you're doing a little upper back bend, which would address you know, the, it's basically the opposite movement of when you're bent over on a bike. Cobra is going the opposite way to help loosen up your upper back. And if you're if done correctly, you're relaxing your shoulders, you're keeping your neck out of it, and it teaches you to get your neck a little more relaxed. Um, a lot of twists. So we do a lot of twists in yoga, and that's a really good way to loosen up your upper back and your thoracic spine. Um, so if your upper back and your thoracic spine are really restricted, it tends to put more stress and strain on the cervical spine or your neck and the lower back. So upper back stretches can be really, really beneficial as far as decreasing the strain in your neck, decreasing the strain in the lower back. And as we talked about earlier, doing some core work in the yoga as well to help support the lower back. Yeah, I think that's kind of interesting because on the bike, your upper back really isn't supposed to be moving a whole lot. Right. And there's really not a whole lot of rotation, not a whole lot of motion. It should just be stationary. And if it's doing its job, then it doesn't move. But then at the same time, it becomes stiff or potentially becomes stiff. Right, right. And so when you get off the bike, it's important to do something to keep it from getting 
too stiff so you can be a, a functional human as exactly. well. <laughs> I've, I think I've talked about this before, the sort of hunchback effect of cyclists. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's almost as if you get off the bike and you stay in the same position. For sure, yeah. Why? I, I guess some people have it. And um, even, you know, Matthew Heyman, I think, is the highest uh, highest quality example of that in terms of bike quality. He's, um, he won Paris-Roubaix in, I think, 2016. Yep. Um, he So he won kind of out of the blue and... He, he gets off the bike and he just maintains that curled up position. Yeah. yeah. And, and if you look at like Tom Bonin or Peter Sagan, they have, they really can bring their shoulders back a lot more. And so it's interesting that a lot of these top pros are, have a neutral posture off the bike, but some don't. Is there, I always wondered if there was a specific reason why, you know, most didn't, but some did. Is there a performance benefit or decrement? I guess from a performance standpoint, I think if you're stuck in a flexed position, uh, it's going to be disadvantageous. It's going to be, I would think, a performance hindrance for you. Uh, having more mobility in your thoracic spine means your ribs can expand and you get, your breath can be affected. So um, that's another thing about yoga. There's a lot of breath work. So we do pranayama where you're really practicing expanding and contracting through your rib cage, which Obviously, it's important when you're on the bike and you're breathing really hard. You want to have the ability to expand through your ribs and take a deep breath and work your, you know, do some diaphragm breathing along with mm. your deep breath. Yeah. Can, do you mind diving into that more? Um, the uh, breath work? Yeah, I need to start taking notes. I don't do any <laughs> breath work. I, I know that uh, breathing is important. I had, I was experimenting with it a little bit where I would intentionally kind of over breathe during uh, like threshold efforts and I felt like it helped but you know it never really caught on is there a more exact science with breathing and in, in cycling oh well for cycling yeah I mean in yoga we do a pranayama practice where um, there's a lot of different ways um, you can practice breath work um, practicing just diaphragm breathing it's really simple for anybody you can do it seated lying down um, you just working on decreasing the tone and your accessory breathing muscles. So your neck muscles, when they work a lot, um, if you're breathing through your neck, uh, your scalenes get really tight. Those are the muscles on the side of your neck. You get a lot of overwork in your neck. So the breathing comes from your neck versus from your belly. Um, So in yoga or just in general, practicing breathing from your belly or breathing from your diaphragm just teaches you how to take a deeper breath and use both a combination of accessory muscles in your neck and the, the belly and the, the diaphragm. And, and so the goal is to kind of allow for as much space as possible, right? So your lungs yeah. can yeah, fill exactly. up as much as possible. So an easy way to practice is to just place your hand on your belly and work on as you take a deep breath in, you fill up the air in your belly and it expands outward. And as you exhale, the ribs come together, the belly pulls in and you just practice that. It's also just a really good way of practicing relaxation, um, getting your nervous system to calm down a little bit. So if you're a cyclist and you're really, really, you know, maybe wired up and you're having a hard time relaxing or you're nervous before a race, that would be a technique that you could use to really calm the nervous system down. Maybe you're on the start line and you're really nervous about this race and you're jittery. Take a few deep belly breaths that can calm you down. It also teaches you how to breathe fully so that you can get the most out of your breath when you're competing and racing or just riding. 
And you'll see that if you look at the top pros, sometimes it looks like if they catch the picture just right and they're taking a deep diaphragmatic breath. It looks like they have a beer belly, but yeah. right, they're 8% body fat. Uh-huh. And you look at the picture and it's like, wow, this, you know, maybe guy maybe had too many beers in the off season. Like, <laughs> it's really hanging over the belt, but it's not. It's, you know, they're super lean. It's just actually mm-hmm. their diaphragms really expanded out mm-hmm. and they're really taking advantage of that as they're breathing. I, th- I think on that topic, a lot of, um, really lean pros and a lot of the climbers their torso looks so big because well of course because their limbs are mm-hmm. really small but because they have that capacity to relax everything and yeah, expand and expand their rib cage yeah yeah i guess that's going to be on the list of uh things to work work on to uh mm-hmm. to get the breathing down and, and expand the space in my lungs a little bit more yeah that's very beneficial so then what about hips we, we love to talk about hips but what about hips as far as poses are there any particular poses that you feel cyclists would benefit from more than say anyone else or may beneficial for cycling performance because of the typical pattern of limitations um hip flexors um so you can stretch that in just a standing lunge so the back leg um straight versus bent will help stretch out your hip flexors um, coming down to a half kneel where one knee's on the floor, the other leg's forward. It's called Anjaneyasana, um, is basically another way to stretch your hip flexors. Quadriceps get really tight, sore from mm-hmm. all the miles. So in that lunge position, if you can bend your knee and add a thigh stretch to it, um, that's another common yoga pose that we do. Always feels really good, especially if you've been on the bike for a long time to stretch out your quadriceps, your hip flexors. Um, Pigeon is a really good one because it stretches out your glutes, your hip external rotators. Mm-hmm. Um, that's basically in down dog, you swing the leg forward, bring it towards the front of the mat, try to keep some space behind the knee, and you bend forward over your front leg just to get a deeper stretch in the, the hip on that side. So uh, speaking of pigeon, I, I have a personal grudge with, uh, with this stretch. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I've worked with teammates. I've worked with... Uh, you know, all my friends and okay. The glutes are a classic, uh, tight muscle, I think on a lot of people. And I think most people who do pigeon don't feel the stretch in their glutes. And, you know, it really should be in the, like the meat of your glutes should be pulling. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's a glute stretch. And I think a lot of people will feel it maybe on the outside of the front of their leg, or they'll feel it maybe in their adductors or something. And, um, I guess that goes towards your argument of making sure you have an instructor to make sure that you're holding the pose correctly. I think that pose in particular, it's really easy to compensate by twisting your hips or... Yeah, most people fall out of the pose and lean too far to mm-hmm. the side. Whereas if you keep your hips aligned towards the floor and square the hips, you might say, um, you can really get a better stretch. So there's a lot of alignment cues that can make sure that you're keeping your knees safe, um, keeping your back safe, and certainly getting the right stretch. Yeah. Okay. So it's it's called like falling out of the pose, mm-hmm. and, yeah, and it's falling uh, to the side basically. Is it normally because your glutes are so tight that it's hard to get into the position on the floor, and you might need some assistive? Uh... It could be that. It could be just not understanding how to do it well. Because sometimes if I just come up and verbally cue somebody, they get back into it, and it's fine. Could okay. be a weakness in the core that like you're not able to hold the pose because you have some weakness in your abdominal or your back muscle area. Mm-hmm. Um, one cue I give is lift your pelvis off the floor 
lift yourself up. So you're engaging your pelvic floor, your abdominals, and you're squaring your hips, and then we fold forward. There's also an upright version of pigeon where you have to hold your hands off the floor while you're in the pose, which teaches clients how to and students how to engage first hmm. before we then bend forward and people tend to collapse in that forward fold version of the pigeon. I'll have to try the the no hands version. Yeah. <laughs> I think that could be probably the the cue to to make sure you're in the right position before you start to fold down. Yeah, and again, just another example of a pose in yoga that you can turn into a core exercise by the right engagement, the right cueing, um, taking your hands away, things like that. Sure. <laughs> well, a- yeah, I guess uh, the, you know, pigeon pose, I, I think glutes are such a, an issue for so many people. And I think a lot of cyclists don't realize how much they use their glutes. And uh, everyone assumes that it's just the teardrop, you know, vastus medialis. But um, I think a lot of cyclists have really tight glutes. Some have some posterior tilt in their pelvis without even realizing it. And um, just trying to get them to do glute stretches and then, you know, oh, I don't even feel it. You know, just uh, it's just kind of a cycle and, and definitely an issue that I think is pretty systemic within the community is is not getting the glute stretch right and not learning how to make them loose and functioning. Yeah, again, I think a good instructor can can definitely help with that and make sure you're isolating the right muscle and doing it safely with good alignment. So I think the same thing with the hip flexor stretch. I see a lot of people try to go into a kneeling hip flexor stretch mm-hmm. and then the pelvis is not where it's supposed to be and it's right, oh, right, right. well, I'm not getting any stretch or they're collapsing in their lower back yep, and getting a lot of yeah. back extension. They've gone really far into a yeah. stretch. They lunge really far forward and oh, I don't feel any stretch. Like, well, your spine's all the way extended. Right. There's, there's, <laughs> you know, you're not really stretching anything there at all. Yeah. And so yeah. that cueing to get the pelvis in the right position exactly. I think is, is huge for both those. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, I guess that's interesting because it is systemic to the pelvis, mm-hmm. both the, the extension and the flexion of the pelvis. So I, I wonder, um, I mean, the pelvis is at the center of the body, and its its position is completely dictated by all the muscles around it. So it would make sense that, you know, your calves are so close to the ground that, you know, there's less stuff in the way for you to get a good stretch from it. Whereas the pelvis is so far from some rigid object, whether it's like your feet or your hands, that it's hard to have the chain of movement followed such that you can get a good pull on the pelvis to actually stretch the muscles out. Well, and you have really long levers that you're working with at that point, right? right? By the time you get to the pelvis, you have the whole length of your leg to deal with. So yeah, I think that's a fair assessment that you're that can be contingent upon a lot of things to get the pelvis in the right spot. Yeah, that can be our, our addendum to the hip mobility uh, episode. It's pelvic control. Yeah, yeah by, by sure. the way, uh, you need to really control the pelvis and whatever you're stretching when, when you're trying to loosen that area up. Well, then it's, I mean, it's also like an addendum to bike fitting, right? Because the pelvis is one of your three contact points. And that's so it's so important that it's in the right position. For, I mean, for comfort for one thing, but also for performance so the muscles can do what they're supposed to do. Right, because if you're too far uh, forward or back or in the rotation, then um, either your glutes or your hip flexors are, are not the right length. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think we hopefully, maybe, convince people that yoga might be a good thing for their for their cycling. I think uh, you've kind of convinced me, actually. <laughs> I, uh, I'm listening and I'm like, oh, I really should. <laughs> be. I, I do like pointed stretches, and of course you can do them in your, in your house. Um, but I, I do think the full body value of yoga is there. 
And um, it's it's not just that you're going to stretch things. You know, you stretch things in combination, so it's not as long. You stretch new things. You learn what you didn't know was tight. And I think also the relaxation and the recovery perspective. I, I do know the few times I've gone, it's um, the... Uh, What's the last pose you do where you lay and you shavasana? You relax all your muscles and um, yeah, everything is basically in preparation for shavasana at the end of class, so you can relax. So you you do ninety <laughs> minutes of yoga just <laughs> yep. to so just you can take to a nap. Be, so you do so that you can relax, and then at the end you lay there for depends on how how long the instructor. Yeah. When the next class is really right, that's, yeah. the, that's the driving factor. It's like a restaurant. And I turn it's over the table. Basically, yeah. you know, a lot of poses to learn how to quiet your mind, to learn how to quiet your body, to be able to relax. Because, to be honest with you, a lot of people say that that's the hardest pose for them is the end of class, trying to relax and quiet their mind for a few minutes. It's hmm. really, really hard for some people. I didn't Present know that. company included. Okay. <laughs> So I actually really enjoy, I, I don't find it hard to get into that position. I really like it. And the idea of learning to relax the muscles and kind of be be limp. And uh, and that's important for physical therapy too. I, yeah. I always struggled with that as a teenager. I played soccer, so a little more injury prone sport. But if I ever had issues, they'd, you know, they'd be like, relax, relax your elbow. And I'm like, it is relaxed. And they're like, no, it's not. You know, that sort of uh, learning how to actually disengage the muscles. And so learning that through uh, being a patient makes it a little bit easier. But the not just the body too, but the mind, because a lot of people, you know, think about how busy they are with, uh, you know, work in the Silicon Valley and, you know, high school students that are busy with homework and you know all the different things that people are have going through their mind and yoga can be a good way just like cycling it's a good way to just quiet your mind but um also quiets your body a little bit too at the end yeah so (laughs) I, i was gonna say that you know i do feel like i'm floating a bit for you know 10 15 20 minutes after the yoga session yeah i mean there's you know the best part about being a yoga teacher is after class when everybody kind of gives that sigh of Ah, oh, they feel so good, you know? Yeah. But the, the class has been a good success when people leave with that sigh. Yeah. We didn't even talk about, like, I think there's a body awareness piece here too, right? Oh, that comes yeah, with yoga. Oh, yeah, for sure. I think maybe overlooked in cycling because we're always looking at watts or something like that. But mm-hmm. I don't know. Sometimes you just need to ride by feel, right? And I think getting that, that body awareness, yoga is maybe another avenue to be able to just tap into body awareness and have that that sensation of your body. Yeah, for sure. For sure. A lot of people are learning about, you know, different parts of their body and how to move and how to be slow and mindful about it. So that a, you're not hurting yourself, but it's also a mindfulness practice where you're getting, you know, additional benefits from moving slowly. And I think Bradley Wiggins was a big proponent of listening to your body during intervals. And he said a lot of top riders will, um, they'll shut out the pain and, you know, use anger or use, just learn how to, I don't feel pain. I'm just doing this interval. And he said, instead, he would like to listen to what was happening and mm-hmm. what burned and what um, hurt and what didn't feel right. And he thought that that was something of a unique advantage he had. And that takes a lot of awareness that he must have developed over time. It's something you work on in a yoga class too. Like you'll get in a pose that's a little bit uncomfortable you're getting a big stretch, you're kind of, you're shaking a little because you're getting tired and you try to, as an instructor, make them hold on just a little bit longer. 
because <laughs> you're working on getting into that discomfort just to, and by discomfort I don't mean injury discomfort but you're working muscles and you're getting a stretch and you're kind of getting into that I don't know if I can hold this much longer and you're just trying to mentally get used to doing things that are a little uncomfortable yeah just like all of cycling right yeah at least, for sure. at least when you pin on a number right that's <laughs> yeah. most, of, most of the experience yeah. and I guess Todd you have that theory that a lot of interval work is just convincing your body it's going to be okay yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, yes, sure, there's physiologic change, but some of it's just having that mental fortitude. That, oh, yeah, I can, I can go that hard, and it's going to be all right. I've done this before. Yeah, I've, done I've this, survived. Yep, exactly. <laughs> I don't have to stop right now. I can yeah. go two more minutes to the finish line or yeah. whatever it is. Yeah. So, uh, Amy, if you have anything else, uh, now's your chance to, uh, if you have any words of wisdom for anyone listening or... I definitely think everybody should try yoga. It's really beneficial. I mean, I think it's a great adjunct to cycling um, for many, many reasons, one of which is just injury prevention, um, just getting your body to do something different, move in different planes. Um, we didn't talk about this yet, but, you know, cycling is the sagittal plane activity where you're just moving in one direction, whereas in yoga you're going to get a lot of transverse plane and frontal plane movement. So, again, just super helpful in improving flexibility, improving performance, and hopefully giving you an all-around fitness program. Help you become the athlete before you become the cyclist. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> and the semi-functional human being there after you get exactly. off the bike. <laughs> so yeah. you can straighten up after you get off the bike. Well, what is it? You know, cycling a bit is healthy. And then once you start cycling a little too much, it's uh, you've gone off the... Well, I mean, it's probably with any sport, right? At some at some point, too much is, is detrimental. Yeah. And so remembering to return to being a normal human at some point. Yoga yeah. is probably Trying to bring to some that. balance there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, got to go find a... Find an instructor. Find an instructor, yeah. Well, I'd also say, you know, if you go to a class, not to get discouraged. Um, and if that class doesn't feel right for you, like, try another teacher, try another class, because there's usually one out there that'll fit your needs. Okay, that's good to know. <laughs> yeah, yeah I mean, it definitely seems like there's many. I've not been exposed to half the things that you mentioned today. So um, it seems like I have a lot to explore with that and... Um, I mean, I found what found my little routine that I like, but maybe there's more for me to learn. I'm sure there's more for me to learn. I've fact. done some um, workshops in the past for cyclists, so yoga for cyclists, where we do various different things, and it's kind of it's really fun to get all the cyclists in one room and have them work together on loosening up all those tight areas that that occur mm-hmm. from sitting on your bike for hours. <laughs> I imagine there's a little comedy involved. Hopefully. There's always a little yeah, comedy. <laughs> oh. I didn't know I couldn't do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And of course, cyclists are notoriously tight or inflexible. So for sure. For sure. Sure. You could pick out some stretches that have like a unanimous groan or um, upsetness in mm-hmm. the whole class. Yeah, so. for sure. Uh, all right. Well, uh, any last uh, closing comments? Well, of course. Thanks, Amy, for coming on and, and chatting with us today. Of course. Um, yeah. Thanks for having me. And um, if you enjoy our podcast, please leave us a review wherever you listen to it. And until next time, keep the rubber side down and thanks for listening.